I'm Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 55th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Today, our topic is Locked Down, Information Security for Lawyers, and our guest is David Reese, who has just authored a book by that name published last month by the American Bar Association. His co-authors are our very own Sharon Nelson and John Simic. Dave, Sharon, and John frequently lecture together on information security topics, which are topics that are very hot in the legal profession right now. Dave is a partner and litigator with the Pittsburgh law firm of Thorpe, Reed, and Armstrong. Welcome aboard, Dave. Well, good afternoon, Sharon and Jim. It's always great to work with you, and I'm particularly interested in talking about this hot topic. Well, we're really glad to have you with us. Uh, John Simic and I really enjoyed, as we always do, working with you on this book. So let's start by telling our listeners a little bit about the kind of information contained in Lockdown Information Security for Lawyers. Sure. It's, it's basically uh, Information Security 101, but written for lawyers. Uh, we tried to do it in plain language without technical details and any geek speak. It has, you know, a first chapter that provides an overview of the whole topic. There's then a discussion of information security requirements for attorneys, the ethical and legal requirements. There's then a chapter that introduces an overview of information security and, and what it is and what its elements are. And then there's a number of chapters that explore each area of security in detail, you know, like laptops, smartphones, networks, et cetera. Uh, it's about 170 pages of text, and then there's over 100 pages of appendices with some of the key ethics opinions, some checklists, some laws and regulations, and a uh, fellow glossary uh, at the end. So, you know, it's a comprehensive book written primarily for attorneys, although it would also be helpful for information security specialists, I'm sorry, for uh, IT specialists who are not information security specialists because they could add this overview to their technical knowledge. There's certainly been a lot of recent publicity about successful hacking attacks on law firms. What's going on out there? Well, so far this year, there has been a, a flood of publicity about successful hacking attacks on law firms. That's been in the popular press, both print and online, in security publications, and, and we're even seeing it in legal publications, which is usually the last place that it hits. One of the big incidents was in Canada. There were some uh, potash mines for sale in western Canada, and Chinese hackers broke into, I believe it was six major law firms in uh, the Toronto area that were working on the case, and two Canadian uh, government agencies. Late last year, the FBI held a meeting in New York for the 200 largest law firms there to warn them about the increasing successful hacking attacks on law firms. The woman from the FBI cyber squad who held the meeting was quoted as saying that some of the law firms seemed to be pretty well prepared, but others were clueless about what they should be doing with security. Now, we've seen hacktivists like uh, Anonymous uh, hacking law firms. We've seen foreign interests, and it's just going on and on. Mandiant, which is a respected security firm, estimated that there were about 80 law firm data breaches in 2011, last year. 
And a lot of this is because law firms are considered to be soft targets. They've got a lot of high-value high information. It's well-organized. And unfortunately, many of them have weaker security than their clients. Well, obviously, Dave, you and I know that data breaches at law firms are not new, but most lawyers, when you lecture, most lawyers seem to think that they are. So what can, why do you think lawyers think that, and what can you tell us about past data breaches? Well, the, the reason that people think there aren't many is they don't hear about them. They aren't disclosed. And you know, just like in industry, there have been data breaches that have gone on for years. We're only starting to see a lot of publicity about it because of laws like the California law that started the whole thing that require notice when certain kinds of information is breached. So there's been kind of a blanket over it. But there have been a lot of law firm data breaches over the years. There, There haven't been, as far as we know, successful hacking attacks that have been disclosed until the last few years. But I put the emphasis on at least that have been disclosed because they probably, you know, were going on. There have been lots of reports of lost and stolen laptops and portable media, even some desktops and servers that have been lost in burglaries. There have been some dishonest insiders. A couple of cases I like to talk about are one on the West Coast where a vendor that was helping with uh, copying paper documents and uh, preparing e-discovery materials for production to the other side uh, one of their employees, who was a college student, found that the encryption code to one of the uh, satellite networks realized what it was and posted on a hacker web case website. There was a case in New York where two paralegals downloaded an, electric, an electronic case plan that was several hundred pages long and offered to sell it to the other side. So there have been all kinds of incidents like these but not disclosed hacking attacks. It reached the point in late 2009 where the FBI issued a warning to law firms that they were being targeted in phishing attacks. In early 2010, a number of reports started to circulate about successful hacking attacks, and that was really, really the start of it. The attacks that were reported in early 2010 took place starting back in about 2008. There were probably ones before that, But what we saw are the isolated instances. Then in early 2010, the groups of them being disclosed and ending up most recently with the FBI meeting and a lot in the press about foreign interests, uh, particularly Chinese, attacking law firms. Well, that's very interesting. We're all aware of the uh, potential risk of uh, insiders within the law firm who have access to passwords and such. What are the greatest current threats, threats that you see otherwise to law firms? Well, I, I think the greatest risk is still the insiders. And it can be the example I just talked about where they're dishonest or disgruntled insiders. But I think a lot of them are from careless and untrained insiders. And those spill over to the outside attacks because the careless or untrained insiders facilitate the outside attacks. The outside risks are from cyber criminals, hackers, and malware. That can be opportunistic where, you know, the the attackers are just trying to steal primarily financial information about the law firms or their clients or anyone else they may have information about, or targeted at a specific law firm like, you know, these ones we've seen with, with the Chinese, 
we're also seeing an increasing risk from hacktivists like Anonymous that you know, have targeted some law firms to get information because of, for political reasons. So I still think there are great threats from the inside, from cyber criminals and hackers, and from hacktivists. So there's a whole realm uh, of risks to law firms. You know, one of the things, Dave, that's really got lawyers thinking about information security these days are the ethical requirements of lawyers to both be competent and to keep client data confidential. Can you talk to us a little bit more about those ethical obligations? Because it seems to me that that's the only thing that makes lawyers suddenly go, oh, my, I, b I better do something about this. Well, that's certainly a primary driver. Before I turn to the ethical requirements, there also are common law duties of confidentiality. Many lawyers now have contractual duties, particularly if they're dealing with financial services or health care or those kinds of regulated entities. And there also are some laws that apply to attorneys if they have certain kinds of personal information that they need to protect it. But uh, putting those aside, the, the key ethics requirements are Model Rule 1.1 on competence and Model Rule 1.6 on confidentiality. There's been a series of uh, ethics opinions by state ethics groups over the years. I think some of the best ones uh, are two that are a number of years old now from around 2005 or so uh, by Arizona. There was one at the end of 2010 by California, and Pennsylvania had a thorough one on uh, cloud computing that was issued at the end of last year. And, and what these kind of say together is that to get, uh, the, the rules uh, on competence and confidentiality require that lawyers take uh, competent and reasonable steps to protect confidential client information. And they need to protect it from unauthorized access or from inadvertent disclosure. This is a continuing duty that lawyers have to keep addressing it over time as technology, threats, and secure, available security measures evolve. And that attorneys need to recognize the limitations in their competence and seek help to make sure that, uh, that they address these. The ABA Commission on Ethics 2020 is looking at this specific issue right now, and they are going to be proposing amendments to the rule on competence and the rule on confidentiality to make it expressly clear that attorneys have these duties, and they're going to be asking the ABA to adopt them in amendments to the rules and the comments at the annual meeting this year. I want to point out I did just write an article for law, the Law Practice Today webzine on these ethical obligations. It was just published in March, so if people want to go into more detail, it's available. Well, that's very important, the ethical requirements, but as a practical matter, what should attorneys and law firms be doing right now to protect their confidential data? Well, I think that there's several things. Uh, the first and, and paramount is to recognize the issues. I think uh, that most attorneys have been thinking that you know, uh, security is some technical issue that consultants take care of, and it's not their concern. I mean, that's absolutely wrong. So the first thing is recognize the issues. And second is to have an ongoing security awareness. So not just recognize it and address it now, but in everything that attorneys do with technology over time, just have in the back of your mind or, or even more at the forefront, I need to address security while I'm doing that. 
beyond those two kind of threshold steps, they need to do a risk assessment to adopt a comprehensive information security program, and it has to address technology, policies and procedures, and people. And, and one of my favorite quotes is from Bruce Schneider, who is a well-known information security expert, and his uh, statement is, if you think that technology will solve your security problems, then you don't understand the problems and you don't understand the technology. And, and that's really important because technology is just one element. It's critical, but it's only one element. And if you don't address the people part of security, it's likely to fail. Now, this might sound you know, like it's a, it's a really difficult task for attorneys to do, to do a risk assessment and come out with a comprehensive information security program. Most attorneys need some help with that. But we actually have in the appendices to the book some Massachusetts state guidance in this area for small businesses and a federal trade commission rule that applies to certain regulated small businesses, and it's only two pages in the, uh, in the federal register. So these are guidelines for small businesses that individual attorneys or small firms can use, along with help with, with competent folks, to implement what they need to do. Well, I think you're right that they tend to feel overwhelmed. I mean, here we are lecturing to them about hacking attacks from hacktivist groups that are pretty sophisticated and foreign governments, obviously, that are very sophisticated. They, they feel like, well, what can we really do? Can we really protect ourselves? They tend to think, I think, that the situation is hopeless. So how would you respond to that feeling? Well, I mean, a, a lot of people feel that way, uh, and with some good reasons, because Attorneys and law firms probably can't successfully defend themselves against a targeted and persistent attack you know, by one of these groups, the uh, activists or uh, you know, criminals or, or things of that nature. You know, we see large government agencies being compromised. We see large multinational corporations being compromised, particularly ones that, including ones that are involved in information security. And we've seen a lot of small businesses and law firms that are successfully attacked. But the fact that you can't defend yourself against one of these really sophisticated attacks doesn't mean that you shouldn't try and be able to defend yourself against everyday attacks and perhaps even defend yourself against these sophisticated ones because a lot of times these sophisticated attacks have occurred because there has been a breakdown in very basic security. So, yeah, the sophisticated ones are, are a minority. And what attorneys need to do is have a reasonable ongoing security program that at least addresses the basics. And we go through the, in detail in the books, in the book, what they are. You know, things like strong passwords, having current security software, having uh, updates to your operating system and all your application software, what are called patches. You know, these kinds of security basics go a very long way toward protecting a, a law firm. So, you know, don't consider it to be hopeless because some very sophisticated attack might get by it. Apply at least the basics. And, you know, I use the example of, of a house. Even if you're in a neighborhood that isn't the safest, where you, know, you put a lock in the door and a deadbolt and you have windows, perhaps with bars, maybe even a security system, 
make sure those things are there and they're in place and are maintained. Certainly don't leave the key in the front door to leave the front door open. Other than the book and the uh, ethical rules the ABA is promulgating, what else is the American Bar Association doing to help attorneys with the information security issue? Well, the ABA has been doing a lot for, for a number of years. But one of the, the kind of limitations uh, has been that it hasn't been coordinated. So for that reason, it hasn't gotten to the attention of a lot of attorneys. But example, for example, the law practice management section that you know, we are very active in over the years has published a number of articles, conducted CLE programs, including security sessions at, at Tech Show going back at least to the late 90s. They have publications like our book. But, you know, those don't get to the attention of, of all the ABA members. What the Commission on Ethics 2020 has suggested is that there be a single point of contact within the ABA, perhaps something like the Legal Technology Resource Center, where all these, you know, security tools and training materials that the various ABA entities are, are putting together uh, are available, you know, at one place on the website so that uh, everyone can find it. And, you know, I think the ABA has been doing a lot, but I think, again, the limitation is that it hasn't really been uh, coordinated and brought to the attention of all ABA members. Well, let's talk about what happens when you have been the victim of a data breach beyond going, holy moly, I don't believe that this happened to us, and I thought it couldn't happen here, which is what they all say. Okay, now they've been breached. What do they do? Well, there are a number of checklists and fairly thorough articles and things on, on you know, what the victims of data breaches need to do. But for a law firm, to, to me, the first step is to get qualified help unless you have it internally. You know, someone who understands the, the technical issues that you're dealing with and also the legal and regulatory requirements. Uh, so the first thing is to stop the breach. Now, if that's a lost laptop or, or lost USB drive or something, it, it isn't an ongoing threat. But if a hacker has broken into your system, you need to stop it, and that's often easier said than done. You know, along with that is determining the scope. Most attorneys, if, if it's a data breach as, oppo as opposed to a loss or theft of an individual device, will need a consultant. You know, at the higher end, there's some firms like Mandiant, uh, Dell SecureWorks, Kroll, that do this for large companies, and, and they've even been involved with some small and mid-sized businesses. But you need to have someone who understands these types of attacks, because one of the things that's happened a number of times is that a standard IT person who doesn't understand it in depth believes they have stopped an attack, uh, and they're still in the network. After determining what's been breached you know, and, and stopping it, Next is assessing the legal, ethical, and client relations requirements for notification. There may also be a need to notify your insurance company if they're involved. Typically, the notifications aren't made for at least 48 hours. Sometimes they get dragged out way too long, but usually you're not in a position to understand exactly what has happened, the scope of it, and the threat for about 48 hours or so. You know, if you do know sooner, and you know, particularly if you can prevent harm to uh, people whose information is breached, you may need to do it sooner. 
and then after that, uh, remediate, understand what happened, and do your best to make sure it doesn't happen again. And, you know, this is a very detailed process with a lot of steps. That's just a quick overview. Well, you know that a lot of uh, solo and small firm lawyers without IT support, or at least in-house IT support, listen to this podcast. So what are the basic starting steps that, that any size law firm would want to do, the first steps to make sure you're protecting your confidential client data? Yes, you want to make sure you're, you're protecting it. But just going back to the response for one minute, what firms and attorneys in all sizes, of all sizes should be doing is to make sure that they know ahead of time what resources they're going to need. You know, for a, a solo or small firm, that might be an IT person who is experienced in information security and data breaches. It might not be the person who sets up your system for you and who does routine maintenance, but work with them to find someone that you at least have contact information to deal with a breach. So, yeah, that's preparing for a breach ahead of time. In, in terms of the steps for, an, uh, for attorneys, I mentioned before recognizing the issues. That, that's the first step. Second, taking an inventory, understanding what computers you have, what systems you have, where the information flows, and what confidential data you have, who has access to it, things of that nature. Then performing a risk assessment. Now, again, that sounds like it's something that's, that's you know, pretty overwhelming, and for a large corporation, it is. I mean, for a small attorney, that might be sitting down with somebody who understands the issues for an hour or two and work it out on a, a, you know, a few pages of paper. And then develop and implement a security program that addresses those risks. And again, that sounds like it could be overwhelming for, for an individual attorney, but you know, probably someone helping for uh, a day or less could perform these steps for a solo or a very small farm. And as I mentioned before, one of the themes that, that I like to remind people of in this area, ongoing training and awareness and continually reviewing the situation over time as things change. Well, you kind of answered, I think, part of my last question was lawyers are, are not technologists. In fact, many of them hate their own technology. But I was going to ask you a little bit about what they need to know about information security. I think you've partially answered that, Dave. Is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think there, there are three things that attorneys can do to address their obligations in dealing with technology. And this applies to information security, and, and you know, I think it applies to attorneys and technology generally. Number one, to understand all of the issues, including the technology. There are very few attorneys who, who would be in that category. Second is to learn what you don't know. Uh, and again, that's not something that most attorneys want to do. And, and the third way is to rely on consultant or consultants who have the technical expertise. Now, it has to be a combination. You can't hire you know, the best information security country, uh, expert in the country and say, take care of my security. I want to have nothing to do with it from here on because it's a process and it's ongoing. So every attorney to... Uh, uh, you know, to, to uh, satisfy the obligation of competence has to know enough to deal with the everyday ongoing security issues. But for the more technical parts of it, they either have to learn it or rely on consultants. 
Thanks so much for joining us today, Dave. It really does seem like the wild, wild west out there sometimes, and we appreciate your sharing your knowledge with our listeners. Well, again, thanks for having me, and you know, for the attorneys who are listening, we've got to get out there and tame the wild, wild west and, and start now. <laughs> and, and we should say that the book Lockdown Information for uh, Security for Lawyers is available at the ABA Web Store. And that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. <laughs>